Good morning, church. Happy Easter. He is risen. This is uh, a little different. This is the most different Easter message that I've ever preached in a sense that in the sense of the context of everything. Hey, a few things before we get started. Everybody has one of these. Google on your phone the Nicene Creed, because here in a little bit we're going to read that together, and I want you to have the words so you'll be able to see it as well. Nicene Creed, N-I-C-E-N-E Creed. Um, I hope everybody's doing okay at home. It's, it's like I said, I think this whole time has altered uh, all of our lives to a degree, and I I tell you this every time I come to you this way, that I, I do miss you like crazy. And I think, you know, I've been thinking about this, that when that day comes when we all get back together, that uh, I will probably go on a hugging and kissing spree in parallel to anything in the known world. So pray for me that I, that I do okay. I, I, I miss, like I said, I miss I miss my men's group in the, uh, on Wednesday mornings and uh, just on and on and on. I could talk about that all day. But today's Easter. It's Resurrection Sunday. And that's what we're talking about this morning. The title of this message is Empty is Good. Have you ever had a longing, a craving, a hankering, if you will, for your favorite cookie or chip or crackers? And you head for the kitchen and you remember that there's some left in the package. And with anticipation, you hope nobody else in the house has eaten that. And Does it sound familiar to you? You open the cabinet or the door with great joy. You see the prize package still there. You lift it, but to your great dismay, it's empty. Your extreme and somewhat heated reaction is, who put this back empty? Uh, you loudly exclaim, and the crazy thing about it, people that live alone say the same thing, actually. So it, we have turned into pretty much a, a nation of finger pointers, and that's what we do. So you're disappointed with your food, and you get a glass, and you fill it with ice, and you open your fridge to wet your whistle, sweet tea. The pitcher's there waiting for you. You pick it up, and it's empty. What's your reaction to that? Here in this clip, clip we see uh, Ernest's reaction to that. Let's watch. Hey, Vern. It sure is hot up here, Vern. I bet you'd like a cold, smooth, mellow yellow right now, wouldn't you? Yeah, I just bet you would. You know, Vern, there's nothing like a good old cold, mellow yellow when you're all hot and sweaty. I think it sure beats that Mountain Dew. You know what that sound means in Russia, Vern? Empty. Vern! <laughs> ah, ah, ah. So while you're at the fridge, you do an inventory of its contents, and you find empty pickle jar, empty ketchup bottle, empty tub, reaction. It's almost a crime against humanity in a sense. And I remember back in the day, some of you don't remember this, but my age, we do. We had ice cube trays. And man, you, you go get ice and the ice cube tray's empty. It's, it just drives you crazy. Or you feel a huge urge to go sit on your throne and with this terrible dread, you see this picture. You panic, of course. If you ever go to the grocery store or restaurant, and well, we did before COVID-19, you get your checkbook out, money clip, billfold, purse, and it's empty. What's your reaction to that? In these scenarios, we quickly deduct that empty is never good, right? Well, an Easter empty is good. Actually, it's great. It's outstanding. Why? 
Because on Easter, the church, those who are Christ followers, celebrate and revel in the fact of the empty tomb of Christ. He arose. He defeated man's greatest enemy, which is death. And I think we can all say amen, amen, and amen to that. Easter's the day the church celebrates the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Did you realize that there is no celebration of the resurrection in the New Testament? The Jewish Christians linked it to Passover. So they observed it on the 14th day of the seventh Jewish month, Nisan, regardless of the day of the week. The Gentile believers celebrated the resurrection on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday. This difference was settled by the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D., which ruled that Easter should be celebrated on the first Sunday after the full moon, following the vernal equinox. This is the system followed today, the date of Easter varying between March 22nd and April 25th. That's why it varies every year. So at this Council of Nicaea, that's when we get where we get the Nicene Creed. As far as we, as believers of Jesus Christ, all the theology and doctrines we need to understand about God is found here in the Nicene Creed. So that's why I had you Google that on your phone. Read this out loud as a family, as you, as you sit there together. It, 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 this is great stuff. There's some songs that have been written about this as well. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from light, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again. In accordance with the scriptures, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. In that context, Catholic simply means universal. We all know what happened on that Friday. It's interesting to me that we call it good. Jesus was beaten. He was mocked. He was tortured and agonized with his death on the cross. His side was pierced. His body was taken down, put in a borrowed tomb, and the stone rolled, the tomb sealed, supposedly end of story. You and I know that that's not the end of the story, right? Actually, it's only the beginning to the rest of the story, which includes our own stories, actually. And as we read what happened next in all four of the gospel accounts, we understand that this is the Word of God that is, is, is inspired by the Holy Spirit of the living God. First from Matthew, written to the Jews, for the purpose of proving that Jesus is the Messiah, the Eternal King, chapter 28, 1 through 10. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to see the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, because an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the woman, 
Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He's been raised from the dead just as he said he would happen. Come see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and call. Tell his disciples he's been raised from the dead and he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember, I have told you. <clears throat> the women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to find the disciples to give them the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they ran to him, held his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers and leave for Galilee and they will see me then. Next from the book of Mark, written to the Christians in Rome and to the Greek-speaking world. Purpose, to present the person, work, and teaching of Jesus. Mark 16, 1 through 8. The next evening when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene and Salome and Mary the mother of James went out and purchased burial spices to put on Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they came to the tomb. On the way, they were discussing who would roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb. But when they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, a very large one, had already been rolled aside. So they entered the tomb. And there on the right sat a young man clothed in a white robe. The women were startled. But the angel said, Do not be so surprised. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He isn't here. He's been raised from the dead. Look, there's where they laid his body. Now go and give this message to his disciples, including Peter. Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. And the women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, saying nothing to anyone except they were too frightened to talk. From Luke, written to the Gentiles and people everywhere, purpose to present an accurate account of the life of Christ, to present Christ as the perfect human and Savior. Luke 24, 1 through 9. Very early on Sunday morning, the women came to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone covering the entrance had been rolled aside, so they went in. But they couldn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. They were puzzled, trying to think what could have happened to him. Suddenly, two men appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed low before them. Then the men asked, Why are you looking in a tomb for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Don't you remember what he told you back in Galilee? That the Son of Man would be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this, so they rushed back to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. And then lastly, from the book of John, written to new Christians and searching non-Christians everywhere in the world, purpose to pr prove conclusively that Jesus is the Son of God, and that all who believe in him will have eternal life. John 20, 1 through 10. Early Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and she said, They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and I don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple ran to the tomb to see. The other disciple outran Peter and got there first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen cloth lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. While the, cloth had been covered, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying to the side, then the other disciple who also went in and he saw and believed, for until then they hadn't realized that the Scripture said he would rise from the dead when they went home. Now, something's interesting there that John mentioned about the cloth that was folded up and lying at the head. In that tradition, when you were finished, done with a meal, you folded up the cloth and laid it there on, on the table so people would know that it is finished, that, that you're done. 
Easter traditions have varied over the years, and I remember in my home church, there was a hymn, Christ Arose, that uh, we sang it. Every, we only sang it on Easter, but we sang it every Easter. And the chorus went something like this. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose, empty is good. And I think we can all say amen to that. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is a central fact of Christian history. On it, the church built its foundation. Without it, there would be no Christian church today. Jesus' resurrection is unique. Other religions have strong ethical system concepts about the flood, about paradise, and the afterlife, and various holy scriptures. But only Christians, only us, have a God who became human, literally died for his people, and was raised again in power and glory to rule his church forever. Why is the resurrection so important to us? There's seven reasons. Number one, because Christ was raised from the dead, we know that the kingdom of heaven has broken into earth's history. Our world is now, through Christ, headed for redemption. God's mighty power that works destroying sin, creating new lives, and preparing us for Jesus' second coming. Number two, because of the resurrection, we know that death has been conquered and that we too will be raised from the dead to live forever with Christ. Do you fear death? Do you think about it these days as we see the virus, the death toll continues to rise and to rise and to rise. And it's always before us, so we can't rationalize it away or put it out of our minds. It's here. We're in it. We're up to our necks in it, actually. Here in this clip from the Golden Age, Queen Elizabeth, Elizabeth asked Sir Walter Raleigh about facing death on the open sea. Listen, listen to this response. Can you imagine what it is to cross an ocean? For weeks you see nothing but the horizon, perfect and empty. You live in the grip of fear, fear of storms, fear of sickness on board, fear of the immensity. So you must drive that fear down deep into your belly, study your charts, watch your compass, Pray for a fair wind and hope. Pure, naked, fragile. Hope. Ready for the archduke caught it waiting. Let them wait. Go on, Mr. Raleigh. You were hoping? At first, it's no more than a haze on the horizon. So you watch. You watch. Then it's a smudge. A shadow on the far water. For a day. For another day, the stain 
slowly spreads along the horizon taking form until on the third day you let yourself believe you dare to whisper the word Resurrection, a true adventure, coming out of the vast unknown, out of the immensity, into new life. That, your majesty, is the new world. Resurrection, new world. Heaven is our new world. We have hope for Easter's hope. We should all be aware that death is coming for each one of us. This clip from one of my favorite movies, Forrest Gump, his mother explains it to him. Just watch. What's the matter, Mama? I'm dying, Forrest. Come on in, sit down over here. Why are you dying, Mama? It's my time. It's just my time. You be afraid, sweetheart. Death is just a part of life. Something we're all destined to do. I didn't know it, but I was destined to be your mama. I did the best I could. Well, you did good, Mama. Well, I happen to believe you make your own destiny. You have to do the best with what God gave you. What's my destiny, Mom? You're gonna have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're gonna get. Mama always had a way of explaining things so I could understand them. I will miss you, Forrest. She had got the cancer and died on a Tuesday. I bought her a new hat with little flowers on it. And that's all I have to say about that. I know this is something that we don't like to bring up, but I have to ask you this this morning. Do you ever talk to your children about death? You should. They need to hear it from you. Especially the part that says in Christ we need not fear death, and when it comes, we are to embrace it. It sounds odd, doesn't it? It's such a taboo issue that... We don't like to think about or talk about it. When we're young, we think we're going to live forever, but we realize that we're not. It, it, it's something that you need to explain to your children. Because Christ rose from the dead, we can know that death has been conquered and that we too can conquer death and live forever with Christ. I, I can't tell you exactly what it's like, but I always think this in my mind. <laughs>
it'll be like for me walking into another room that I'll go to sleep here and wake up in the presence of Christ. Third reason the resurrection is so important. The resurrection gives authority to the church's witness in the world. If you look at all the early evangelistic sermons in the book of Acts, the apostles' most important message was the proclamation that Jesus Christ had been raised from the dead. And over 500 witnesses attested to that fact. Fourth, the resurrection gives meaning to the church's regular feast, the Lord's Supper, which we did last week. Like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, we, we break bread with our risen Lord every time that we do it. Number five, the resurrection helps us find meaning even in great tragedy and crisis. No matter what happens to you and I, as we walk with the Lord, the resurrection gives us hope for the future, and that's a forever hope. Number six, the resurrection assures us that Christ is alive and ruling his kingdom. He is not legend. He is not myth. He is alive and he is real. And seventh, the power of God that brought Christ's body back from the dead is available to you and I to bring our morally and spiritually dead selves back to life so that we can change and grow together. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19. It's a passage about the resurrection. It has great significance for us because Paul is talking about all that we are in Christ, all that we have staked on Christ defeating death comes down to this, starting with verse 12. But let me tell you this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying that there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your trust in God is useless. And we apostles should, would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still under condemnation for your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ have perished. And if we have hope in Christ only for this life, we're the most miserable people in the world. But I tell you what, my friends, I'm not miserable this morning because our hope is forever that Jesus Christ did rise from the grave. Empty is good. The empty tomb uh, is great. I ask you what your reaction is to that this morning. And I hope and pray, friends, that you and I have grasped the enormity and immensity and magnitude of what God has done for us. So you and I, as mere humans, can all truly celebrate this day and the resurrection of Jesus and our own resurrection that's coming. This tomb is empty. Praise God. What's that mean to you this morning? Have you ever really pondered it and thought about it? Is Christ your Lord and Savior? I hope he is. If not, you can invite him in right now. In Romans it says, For whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no set prayer. It's the fact that the Holy Spirit has gripped our heart and we realize that we need him in our lives and we say, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm a sinner. Would you forgive my sins? Would you come in and be my Lord and my Savior? I pray we all this morning have resurrection hope in all of our hearts and that you are his son or his daughter. In the whisper test, Mary Ann Bird writes, I grew up knowing I was different and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate, and when I started school, my classmates made it clear to me how I looked to others. A little girl with a misshapen lip, crooked nose, 
lopsided teeth and garbled speech. When classmates asked, what happened to your lip? I'd tell them I'd fallen and cut her on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. I was convinced that no one outside my family could love me. There was, however, a teacher in the second grade that we all adored, Mrs. Leonard by name. She was short, round, happy, a sparkling lady. Annually, we had a hearing test. Mrs. Leonard gave the test to everyone in the class, and finally, it was my turn. I knew from past years that we stood against the door and covered one ear, and the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper something, and we would have to repeat it back, things like, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? I waited there for those words that God must have put into her mouth, those seven words that changed my life. Mrs. Leonard said in a whisper, I wish you were my little girl. God says to every person deformed by sin, I wish you were my son or I wish you were my daughter. He wants to be your father. He wants to be your Lord. He wants to be your Savior. He desperately wants to give you assurance and hope in these trying times. We could all say this morning that he is risen and he is risen indeed. Father, I love you. I'm always a loss for words as a human on how to respond to such a great gift that you have given us and such a great victory that you have claimed over our worst enemy, our greatest enemy, which is death, and that we as followers of Christ need not fear it. But in a sense, we can embrace it because we know from we go to this place, we go into glory, and many of us have people that's already up there in glory right now. So this... Fine Easter morning, Lord, I pray for all these families. I pray for all these people. I pray that you are alive and real in their hearts, and they, ha- they know you as Lord and Savior and Master. Bless them this day. Bless their families, Lord, as we stay quarantined, that we might trust in you and our great hope would come from you, Lord. We love you. We give you praise and glory for who you are, for we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen.